Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome all here to the new year at New Village. We've just uh, celebrated the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ over the last couple of weeks, and now we're into the new year. I entitled the message this morning, What's Ahead for the New Year? Perhaps that title is a bit misleading. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's going to happen. And I'm not even going to take a guess at it, seeing what happened last year. But I, you know, I do know who holds the future. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know who knows the future. And heard me say it before that God is absolutely sovereign. He's still on the throne. He's in complete control. And rest assured, in the year 2021, he still will be. Now, as we enter 2021, and 2020 is behind us, many of us are saying good riddance to 2020. Some of the Christmas cards we received this over the holidays had actually that written in it. I'm glad 2020 is behind us, you know. You know, it's, it's been quite a year. Months of quarantine and isolation. The inability to visit family and friends. Uh, travel advisories and restrictions all over the place. Many of our friends and relatives have been deeply effect affected by the pandemic. Some of us personally. Many of Americans have lost their jobs due to it. Many of the restaurants and the small businesses have closed and they're not going to reopen. Personal health issues have plagued a lot of us. Many of us have our own families. Personal experiences of loss of loved ones. We've had political divisions across the country. Some of us even across our own dinner tables. What a mess 2020 has turned out to be. And some of these same problems are going to probably follow us into 2021. So be aware of that and have to deal with them as we do. As we move into 2020, I'd like to, I think it'd be wise to take a look back and as painful as it may be, just to take an inventory of how things went. With the idea of planning, looking ahead, building on what's behind. Now, corporations do this all the time. They look at the last year's financial, you know, what happened on the balance sheets, and they look at what their goals are. Maybe they have to readjust it and their forecasts a little bit. Government does the same thing, as we see with the rollout of the virus, uh, or the, uh, the virus uh, antidote here, as it's coming out. They've made their plans, but they have to adjust it as it goes along. And individuals like you and I should probably do the same thing. We should look back a little bit. Take an inventory, learn from our past experiences over this last year, see what works and see what needs to be improved. Make a plan of action, get into it, leaving rooms for adjustment maybe in case things pop up that we're not aware of and, and have a course ahead of us. Now, a lot of people looking back make New Year's resolutions. Maybe you have also, I'm not one to actually partake in that all the time, but it's a uh, a lot of people do these New Year's resolutions, and many of them are very difficult to keep. I googled the top New Year's resolutions over the last couple of years, and I put together a little list. And this is what a lot of people are trying to accomplish for the new year. Guess what the number one one is? It'll probably be on my list, too, is to exercise more, lose weight, and eat more healthy. Others are like, get organized, reduce stress, 
get more sleep, learn a new skill or hobby, save more money or spend less money, stick to a budget. Some of them were listed as quit smoking, spend more time with family and friends, read more. Last one, I like travel more. Good luck with that over the next couple of months. Any of them sound familiar to us? Have we thought about these goals ourselves? I know I have to work on some of these myself. But if you look at this list, there's something that you see that they, they all have in common, it seems. The vast majority of New Year's resolutions, even among Christians, are related to physical things. And we know that's all temporal, finite, eternal. Things that we see are temporal. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. You know, we have to take care of our bodies. We have to be healthy. These are jars of clay. We have to take care of them. But I also have to ask, what are the eternal values of some of these things we have listed there? I also found a list on the web of Christian resolves. It's interesting, there's a, in this list, there's actually 10 of them. And the first one, Number one is resolve to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. Boy, that's a great one, huh? Resolve to stay faithful to Jesus Christ. Number two, resolve to not let anything become an object of worship. Not your job, not your significant others, not social media, not your house, your car, whatever it is. Number three says resolve to watch your language and not speak any destructive talk, especially involving the name of God. Resolve to prevent burnout by putting aside work one day a week. See where this is going, maybe. Trust God to provide for your needs that day and just enjoy that time he's given you. Resolve to talk to your parents on a regular basis and show them love and respect, honor. Number six says to resolve to be less angry channel any feelings of rage which Jesus said is as severe as murder into worshiping God and serving others. Resolve to honor your commitment to your spouse whether in thought or in deed stay pure and loyal to the union that God has made. Number eight on this list is resolve not to take anything that's not yours including stuff you can put in your pocket, but also plenty that you can't. Music downloads, streaming music, hours on your time card or whatever. Number nine says, resolve to speak about others only with truth, love, and not gospel, gossip. And the last one here, number 10 says, resolve to be content with what you have and not to worry about what others are amassing. It's a pretty good list, and if you look at it carefully, and I've tried to emphasize it a little bit, there's a strong correlation to this list in the Ten Commandments. Now, many Christians make resolutions to some extent for the New Year's also. And what do they usually are? Is we want to pray more. We want to read the Bible every day. Maybe even read through it this year in its entirety. Maybe to attend church more regularly. Maybe to be more consistent in our tithing. 
All great goals. But what happens to most of us, we start off strong in January, right? We work at it now through spring. Summer heat comes, we kind of burn up in it. And come by fall, we kind of fall apart with it. Maybe we don't have the right motives in time. Maybe we don't have the right commitment to it. But we need the purpose and the power of the Holy Spirit alongside of us to keep us going on through them. Make sure our desire is God-centered to honor Him. And with that commitment, then we will have a better chance of attaining to some of these goals and be successful. Many of us with our best intentions try to do the right things, but we don't finish as strong as we would like. So I say, what's ahead for the new year? I don't know if any of our resolutions or any of our resolves are going to turn out, how they're going to turn out in 362 days from now. But I do know this. God has not changed for the new year. He's got nothing that he needs to change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cannot lie. He is true and faithful, and he doesn't break his promises. Rest assured, we can stand on the promises of God. And what I'd like to do this morning is to look at one of these promises and consider it as we enter the new year. Please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. And we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6. Hebrews 13 verses 1 through 6. This last chapter of Hebrews has instructions on Christian living, our Christian conduct. Christians who live like this will be an example to the lost world around us and will actually show the true gospel by living like this. Uh, please follow as I read this, these uh, verses 1 through 6. It says here now, Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitali hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves are also in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Let's go to prayer for a second. Lord God, our Holy Father, Give us strength to enter the new year knowing that you love us, that you care for us, that you want the best for us, and that you are always with us. Give us wisdom and insight into this portion of your word, Father, and help us to treasure it in our hearts and minds as we go forth into the new year. With your strength, assured with your presence to be with us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 13, we see here in verse 1 that the writer of Hebrews has encourages us to what? Encourages believers to keep on loving each other. Verse 1 says, let love of the brethren continue. Now, 
This is a sign to the unsaved that we're different, that we're set apart. Jesus in John 13, 35 says this, that by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's how we're identified as Christians, that we'll have love for one another. It's not always easy. Ask some people who've worked with me over the years, and, or ask my wife. Loving each other isn't something that's easy. It is, I'm going to say, a God thing. don't like that phrase, but it really is. In the flesh, we can't do it. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can and we must. Notice it says to continue. It says, let the love of the brethren continue. This is love that's for the long haul. It's got to continue. Not just when we come into a fellowship, not just when we're first there, but time after time, it's a continual thing. When we get to know each other and we see the warts on each other's faces, our imperfections are manifested in our flesh, we must continue to love each other. Why? Because Christ loved us while we were yet sinners, while we were unlovely, he loved us, while we were unlovable. And again, this is a sign of a true Christ follower. So, we're so we should continue in love. Verse 2 goes on to say that we, shouldn't sh we should show hospitality to others. Verse 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some will have entertained angels without knowing it. Through love, we extend grace to strangers. It's not always easy, especially in this environment, especially having to stay six feet away from each other and everything else, but we can show hospitality. We don't know who the strangers are going to be. We have examples of this extending of hospitality to strangers that turned out to be angels, messengers of God. One example that it, this passage probably refers to is Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18, 1 through 3. Abraham was sitting at the door of his tent during the heat of the day, and three men appeared to be men, one of which happens to be the Lord, who he didn't recognize at first, but Abraham humbly greeted them, entertained, showing hospitality to them. The result of this was what? This was a promise of Isaac coming to Abraham and Sarah. Another example, shortly after that, Genesis 19, 1 and 2, Lot extends an invitation to the same two angels in Sodom. And he asks them to spend the night with them there. He prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread for them to eat. And there are other examples of angels being entertained. Gideon, for one. We don't know what the far-reaching effects of our kindness might be, of our extended hospitality might be. It could and possibly would have an eternal difference on things, on people's lives. Show hospitality. So we should continue in love, show hospitality. Number three states, remember the prisoners as though you were in prison with them, those who are ill-treated since you yourselves also are in the body. Remember those who are in chains, those who are suffering, the ill-treated people. Because you have suffered like them, 
these Hebrew believers were persecuted and reminded to remember those who are still being persecuted. They're part of the same body. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, and if one part of the body suffers, all the parts suffer with it. Now, we in America have been exempt by God's mercy and grace to this kind of physical persecution today. But daily persecution is going on all over the world. People are being persecuted for proclaiming the name of Jesus, for being a Christ follower. You're familiar with the voice of the martyrs. They remind us on an ongoing persecution of the world today. The underground church, the pastors that are being imprisoned, being tortured and suffered for the gospel. We are to remember them in prayer. Pray for them. Continue in love. Show hospitality. Remember the prisoners. Verse 4 talks about marriage. It's to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Now God instituted marriage at creation. It's to be honored by all. It's to be pure, undefiled between a husband and a wife. Sexual activity outside of marriage will be judged by God. A Christ-centered God-glorifying marriage is one way Christians can stand out of this world today. Having a Christ-centered marriage is a beautiful example of what true love is between Christ and his bride, the church. That is that great mystery that is described in the latter part of Ephesians chapter 5. If we look at the world today, how they view marriage, been turned into almost a circus. It is no longer between a man and a woman. Sexual activity outside of marriage is commonplace in our country today and it's promoted by the vast majority of entertainment industry. It's almost considered to be the norm now. Kind of stop and wonder how much longer God will tolerate a society that is despises his holy ordinances. way we are to honor marriage. Continue in love, show hospitality, remember the prisoners, honor marriage. Verse 5 says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has says, I, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Now the writer here says to make sure be certain. Definitely know without a doubt that your character is free from the love of money. This is a call to self-examination. We have to stop and look at ourselves and say, well, why? It, 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Great reason to examine ourselves. 1 Timothy 3.3 says, when it's talking about overseers or deacons, that they should not be overindulging in wine, not a bully, not, but they've got to be gentle, 
Not contentious, but the law I'm getting to is free from the love of money. That should be a characteristic of those who are overseers and deacons. And he adds to this to be content with what you have. Be content. 1 Timothy 6, 8 says this. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. This is the real gain. Not money, but godliness with contentment. That is the real gain. That's the real treasure. Continue in love. Show hospitality. Remember the prisoners. Honor marriage. Don't love money and be content. That's the characteristics that he points out for Christian conduct and living in as we go into chapter 13. And then we come to what I really wanted to focus on today is the promise. Promise that I hope we can take with us into 2021. And it comes in the second half of verse 5 there. It says, For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. The New King James says, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And let me tell you, that's a promise. That's a promise to hang your hat on. This promise, as you see, is somewhat connected to the idea of the money and contentment, though. It says, don't love money, be content for, he himself has said, or because, Jesus has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's a correlation between that. He's all we need. He is our reason for contentment. What a, what a great promise. There's a strong use in the language here of negative words in this verse, and it kind of emphasizes the impossibility of Christ ever leaving us. The impossibility of Christ ever leaving us. One of the commentators rephrased this verse this way. There is absolutely no way whatsoever I will ever, ever leave you. That's what the text kind of says with all those negatives. That's what it's implying. This is a promise for us to hold on to today and every day going to the future. I will never, ever, whatsoever leave you or forsake you. Some of your Bibles might indicate that this is a, a quote from the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 31, we see Moses being about 120 years old at this time. He addresses the people as Israel. They've been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. They change a generation during this time, and they're about to now come into the promised land. He tells them he will not be going into the promised land with them. He will not cross over the Jordan River. He states that the Lord will cross over before you and destroy these nations, and Joshua will lead you into the land. So Moses states, and he addresses to the people in Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, it says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or in dread of them. For the Lord your God is the one who is going with you. He will not desert you or abandon you. Then Moses addresses Joshua, who's going to be taking over kind of in his place. And in the sight of all the people, he says to him, be strong and courageous. 
You will go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as their inheritance. Now, he continues to address Josh by saying this in Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. And the Lord is the one who is going ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not desert you or abandon you. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. This promise is for us to look back at, to take inventory, to see how faithful God has been to his people, how faithful he's been to us. He went on before them, and he went with them, and he promised never to leave them nor forsake them. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, which, believe it or not, if you look at it, are the last 12 words in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's how the book of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, ends. Our God is already in tomorrow. He's not constrained by time as we are. He holds the future, and he's the one who's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Whether we're in the lion's den, in a fiery furnace, crossing the Jordan to fight enemies, or any of the storms of our lives that we go through, rest assured in his love and in his promise. So as it says in verse 6, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what man will do to me. We have nothing to worry about in facing the future. God will be there with us, and he's there already preparing, taking care of us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we thank you and we, we praise you, Father, for being our God and for giving us these promises, Lord, especially for the one that we looked into here today. Help us, Lord, to cling to it and live our lives with full assurance that you will never, ever leave us, that you will never, ever forsake us. Lead us on, Father, into the new year. Help us to be faithful to follow you as you go before us and with us into tomorrow. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.